the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. No one is beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. You're going to really understand what that means as you meet our guest today. He is the senior pastor of New Life Christian Church in Hayward, and we're delighted to have join us on the program today, Pastor Dubayon Shortridge. And Pastor Shortridge, a delight to get a chance and visit with you today. Craig, thank you so much. We're blessed to be here. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share today with you. Your uh, your ministry and, and ultimately your personal testimony and life story, really demonstrative of the notion that in spite of circumstances, in spite of all that the world and sometimes even hell can throw against us, no one is beyond God's love, no one is beyond God's grace, no one is beyond God's healing and restorative power, all toward that reconciliation that our Creator desires so that we might walk in fellowship with Him. So as that is kind of the stage, let's let's walk through some of your life experiences we then lead into talking about what God is doing there in Hayward at New Life Christian Church. You were born here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and over the course of your life and ministry, you've seen a lot. Tell us a bit about some of your background. Thank you, Craig. Yes, I, I am a true native. I was born in Oakland, and it's kind of funny. My story's a little bit different. I was at a pastor's meeting, and we were all kind of sharing how we came to be pastors, and most people shared they grew up in the church or they came through seminary, and then they got to my wife and I, and ours was a little bit different, both of us. But uh, my father, who raised me, is African-American. My mother is Hispanic. And so I was born in the 60s during an era where interracial relationships were not uh, promoted and were looked down upon. But on top of it, uh, my mother was 17 when she had me. My father had just come out of San Quentin prison, and uh, my mother was not of legal age to have me. So she became a ward of a juvenile hall when she was younger, but by God's grace, she turned 18 and she kept me. My mother has shared with me after growing up that she was actually pressured to have an abortion, which wasn't legal at that time. And she wouldn't do it and she didn't. And I can, let me say, I speak on behalf that I'm grateful that I'm here, very grateful. And my kids and my grandkids are as well. But the lifestyle that I grew up in those early years up until I was about 11, uh, were very abusive, unfortunately. My father was very violent. There was constant abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, everything. There were some very, very dark moments uh, that unfortunately are still etched in my heart, but are healed by God's grace. So I've seen a lot of things, uh, you know, the police coming in, beating my father, my father trying to kill my mother. And it all culminated one day when my mother finally had enough strength to leave him because he literally was going to kill us, not in the figurative, but in the literal sense. And she finally left him. We got away. And uh, unfortunately, during that time, we ended up in foster care for a couple of years. And that was an incredible, uh, heartbreaking experience for my two younger siblings. I'm the oldest. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. During that time, we were finally reunited back with my mother. Uh, She had moved to Oakland because we were living in San Francisco and the housing projects on Army Street, uh, which have now been torn down. But during my my time growing up, being of mixed ethnicity, it was always a very difficult place for me because I never quite identified with any culture. And being that I look Asian, I look Hawaiian, it was very difficult for people to accept me for who I was. And and because of uh, the era that I grew up in, it was very easy. If you could identify with one full culture, you could either be Hispanic, you could be Black American, you could be Asian American. But when you're mixed you don't quite fit into any of those categories. And so a lot of my best friends growing up were mixed ethnicity. One of my best friends, his name was Michael. He was half Japanese and half black. His mother had died of a heroin overdose, unfortunately. And so I got along very well with other cultures that were, you know, could identify. But when I was about 16, I was introduced to the gospel for the first time. 
didn't grow up in church. The only time we ever went to church is when my mother was kicked out of the house with all of us and needed a place to live. She would go to the Catholic church. And I want to say this, I'm so grateful for the Catholic church. Uh, I remember many a times my, my mom going to the priest and asking for money and the priest giving his own personal finances to my mom so that we could have a, a place to sleep or food to eat. I'm so grateful. So grateful for St. Anthony's Dining Hall. We ate there. So grateful for the YMCA because we lived there. So grateful for all these organizations that helped us when we, you know, growing up in difficult times. When I became 16, I heard the gospel. That was the first seed that were planted, the calling. And then by my mid 20s. Uh, by that time, I was married. I was already working in a career in IT. And it was at that place that God got a hold of my life and transformed myself and my wife. And we had two sons at the time, and then we had a third one later. And that was the beginning of my journey, uh, committed to Christ, walking in Him, becoming a part of Full Gospel Businessmen, Letcha Juvenile Hall Ministry, which I thought, in Craig, in hindsight, I thought that's what's going to be my full-time ministry was chaplain. And God flipped it around and says, no, I got a different plan because I thought I was going to retire in IT, have a nice you know, bank account, house paid for, be a chaplain. And God says, I'm going to change that up just a little bit, not quite what you're expecting. <laughs> and I got the call to be a full-time pastor and uh, left the IT world. And that's a whole other thing in itself. But here I am. Uh, 19 years later, uh, senior pastor at New Life Christian Church, and Craig, I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, that issue related to the, the racial identity, we all have to have a sense of belonging. Who do we identify with? How are we identified? What a joy in Christ Jesus that you could change up that narrative that maybe heretofore people would say, well, Dubayan, what are you? <laughs> try, try, trying to put a label on you. But the moment you committed your life to Christ, I would imagine that answering that question got a whole lot easier because at the end of the day, while all of us to one degree or another can, you know, we, we identify as black, white, Latin American, whatever, but within Christ Jesus, first and foremost, we identify as being a son of the living God. You couldn't have said it any better. And and yes, it was identified. It was interesting. I had a friend of mine, he's passed away now. He was a pastor. And when I was younger, he says, do you know what your name means? And I said, Dubayan De La Croix. He goes, no, your middle name. Do you know what De La Croix means? I said, I don't. He goes, it means of the cross. Of the cross. Yeah. And I said, really? And so I looked it up and he, and he was right. And I go, and it just brought me back to Jeremiah when he says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And I thought, wow, God, you knew that I was going to cry out to you, that I needed the cross. I needed the cross so much. And yes, uh, even though my father did what he did and that happened. I share that story many times. With I, I still work with youth in juvenile hall. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't been able to go in for quite a bit. But I share that story. And one of the most common questions, Craig, they would ask me, do you forgive your father for what happened? That was the most common question. And this is what I say. I said, I absolutely forgive him. In fact, my father who raised me, I have to say my father who raised me because I did a DNA test and I actually have a, a different biological father that we never knew. Uh, that was discovered four years ago. That's a whole other thing, right? But I tell people, my, my father who raised me, unfortunately, he had just become deathly ill uh, last November. I, I went out to go see him uh, because of COVID. I was the only one who could go in. All of the other family is estranged from him. And I remember sitting in there with him. I couldn't touch him. I had my mask on. He was laying there unconscious. And I thought, God, what do I say? You know, we've never had any father-son moments. I love you, son. I'm, never has happened. But what do I say to him? And the Lord spoke to me, and he just said, you love him. You honor him. And so I did. I said, Dad, I love you. I don't know where you're at in your, your life with Jesus, but I just want you to know he's here for you. And then I prayed for him. Pastor, take a moment, if you would, for folks that are new to the Bay Area, looking for a church home. Tell us a bit about what God is doing in and through New Life Christian Church in Hayward. Thank you, Craig. New Life Church, as we mentioned, our desire is to live the gospel personally, share it locally, and take it globally. What we do as a church is we look to minister to everyone wherever they're at, whether they come in displaced or addicted, or they come in you know, from college degree. Our goal is to introduce people to Christ, and in so introducing them, that they have an authentic relationship in growing in their faith. 
we would consider ourselves a family type church. You know, certainly we love to get together and hang out together and fellowship together and do all of those things. But I think if someone were coming in for the first time for us here, uh, first of all, we don't look like a traditional church. <laughs> Number one, we were a former gym building and that we bought and it's now a church. So the aesthetics of the church aren't traditional. In fact, it's very easy to miss us because it looks like a regular building. But as soon as you come in, we have a, a cafe area where you're welcome to sit down and have a cup of coffee and just kind of relax a little bit. And our service, uh, we're traditional in our service. We have a time of prayer. We believe prayer sets the attitude for our hearts. And then uh, we have a time of worship. And then after the worship, we have a time of teaching and preaching out of the scriptures. And then we have a closing time. We call it our altar ministry, where we invite anyone that needs prayer and certainly anyone that doesn't know the Lord to do so. Uh, one of the recent things we've added on to recently after, out of COVID is we have an online service, which we didn't have before. Uh, well, actually, I should say it this way. We tried it before, but we had very uh, bad technology where you were doing the robot and <laughs> every word was a little bit of a stutter. Uh, but we've invested a little bit, so it's a, a little bit smoother now. Not quite the best, but it's good enough where people can get an idea of what the service is like and, and, and everything. But I would say if you don't have a home church, we would certainly welcome you to come and visit New Life. Uh, if you want to know a little bit about us, you can certainly visit, visit us on our webpage at newlifechristianchurch.com. We have all of our statement of faith. Our services are there. You can look at our services and any questions that you might have about our leadership, it's all written out there. And we would love to have you come by and visit us on a Sunday morning. New Life Christian Church, 1265 B Street, downtown near 2nd in Hayward. You can call area 510-889-1304 or visit them online at newlifechristianchurch.com. Pastor D, it's been so great to get a chance to hear some of your story and visit with you today and talk of the good things of the Lord. Thanks so much again for your time. Thank you, Craig. It was a blessing to be here. God bless you. I want to share a word with you. Um, you know, actually, it's it's more of a, a beginning of the year message, and it's one that I, I would hope would reach the hearts of where we are. And it's called From This Day Forward, Making Change in Our Lives. And all of us are constantly changing. Well, at least I hope that's the way it is for us. Some of us are changing willingly, and some of us are changing unwillingly. But the matter of the fact is, is that we're all changing, whether we like it or not. The proof of that is when you look in the mirror, you know that you're changing, right? You know, you and you, when you were in your 20s, you were invincible, you could run, you were doing everything. In your 30s, not too bad. In your 40s, things might have slowed down a little bit. By the time you hit your 50s, things have kind of shifted. Maybe, you know, you started off with a nice six-pack and a full set of hair. And as one old guy says, I used to have a full set of hair and a small stomach. He says, now I have a full stomach and a small set of hair. And so it, it kind of reverses itself, right? Uh, as I tell my barber every month when I go in, listen, at, at my age, I'm just glad to have my hair. Uh, I'm just glad to have something to be able to work with. But our bodies change. You look in the mirror, you see the, I don't know what they're called, the wrinkles on your eyeballs here. Crow's, crow's nest, oh, what a, crow's feet, crow's feet. Okay. And, and then you get the, the laugh lines. And they did a, a t I think it was Time Magazine did a portrait of individuals that were well into their 90s, almost into their centurion. And they were taking pictures. They did it across the world. They did some in Japan. I think they did some in Italy, some here in the United States. And I'll, and I'll never forget, they were taking the pictures of this one uh, lady, mature lady in her 90s. And, and they were talking to her about aging. And they asked her, they said, how do you feel about the wrinkles? You know, because they're, listen, wrinkles are wrinkles. They're there. They're, they're pronounced. They're, they're going to show. And so they asked her about her wrinkles, and she says, you know what? She says, I'm proud of my wrinkles, every one of them. And she said, because they have showed that I have lived this life. I'm not ashamed of the wrinkles that I have. And she smiled. She was a beautiful woman. She smiled, and they interviewed her. And, and I thought about that for a minute. I go, you know, in, in our culture, we're kind of like, we do the Botox thing, right? You know, you see some people, they got a little bit too much Botox because they can't even move their face. It's frozen like this, right? They, they smile for me. I am smiling. Are you sad? Yeah, I'm sad. No emotion is just the Botox freezes their, their, their whole face. 
But we are constantly changing, and, 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 and hopefully we're changing for the better. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But here's the challenge. Those old things try to creep back up. And so I want to share with you a message this morning. Moving this day forward, the key text I'm going to use is Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. And so Joshua chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites had set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went around. Now, Israel was at a cross point. If if you've been following us for our series, we've been looking at, and I am going to start that series back up again here in a few weeks of of, um, it's all about the Bible. You, You remember that Israel had been in slavery for several hundred years. For generation upon generation, this is all they knew, slavery. It's kind of like when, if we've, uh, studies have shown if you grow up in poverty, the saying is poverty can begat poverty, meaning that if, if you've grown up uh, not going to college in your family or you've grown up in difficult situations, the chances are very likely that you're going to repeat that. Or if you've grown up in a family where prison is part of the norm, then chances are you're going to be a part of that. And this is what Israel was experiencing. They had only known slavery When they went to leave Pharaoh in Egypt, they went into the desert and God was going to give them a promised land. But what happened? They rebelled. And so they ended up in the desert for how long? 40 years. So now that whole generation has died. There's a whole new generation, brand new generation. And now things are different. They're they're coming into a new territory. They're coming into a new land. They've never had the battle before. None of them. None of them have ever fought before. Not a one. None of them had lived to see the miracles that were passed except for uh, the children. And so now there's a change. And so this is what they had to contend with. There were three changes that were happening for Israel. Number one, they had a change in their leadership. Moses had been leading Israel for how long? 40 years. Joshua was under him as an understudy and serving alongside So the people of Israel had only known Moses from the time they left Egypt all the way through until they get to the Jordan. That's all they knew was Moses. And now there's a new leader coming in, Joshua. That's the first change. The second change that was coming in is they had never been this path before. They had never been outside of their vicinity. This was a new avenue for them. This was new territory for them. They didn't know what to expect. There was a change in where they were going. And then the last change that they had is none of them had ever been into battle. And, and, and change is so relevant for us. You know, when we think of the, the new year, certainly we, you know, all of us, we want, to, we want to do better in our lives. At least that's what I hope, that we want to, you know, grow closer to the Lord, spend more time in prayer, meditating on his word, gathering together, lifting him up. And those are all part of it. And when we, when we don't, or I should say this, when we are unwilling to change, we miss out on all that God has for you and I. Some of you might be familiar. I've shared this story. Some of you, how many of you are old enough to remember a, a little business called Blockbuster? So remember Blockbuster video? You know, I tell people, my wife and I, you had to get there early Friday because if you didn't, you know, you'd be going down the aisle and there's, there's the movie you wanted to get. And as soon as you went, somebody grabbed it and it was the last copy, right? And they took off with it. And you're like, oh, I man, I got to wait till next week to see it. If you didn't return your video within a certain time frame, then you got feed for it. And then you go back. And so Blockbuster in the, in the late 80s, early 90s was a huge success. They had, I, I think, I don't know how many thousands of stores all over the nation, well, along the way there, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000, there was another business called Netflix that started up. 
And Netflix came with the premises that, hey, listen, we know people like to be entertained. We know like that they like to watch movies. Listen, we all enjoy a, a good movie anyway, nothing crazy, but a good movie. And so they knew that premises. They said, but we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to deliver it through online services. And people thought that's never going to happen. The technology isn't there. People aren't going to want to do it. They want to go to the blockbusters. So what's interesting is that in the early 2000s, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix and to own them. And they said, nah, we're fine how things are. Fast forward, there is out of, I think I want, I could be mistaken. I think there were like 48,000 Blockbusters in the nation. I, I think even in the world, there were some international. Do you know how many exist today? One. That's right. Who said one? Who said, oh, if I had chocolates, I'd give you <laughs> Okay, here's a bonus. Do you know where that one store exists? Oregon or Washington? Ah, look at you, Oregon. That's right. Whoop. Kathy, you're good. You're good, girl. <laughs> one, and they still do VHS. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> one blockbuster. So what happened? Well, that's not, an, that's not a, a single type story. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenge for us because we all, and I'm talking to me here, Pastor Stephen, we all don't like the, to change willingly but it's necessary. It's important for us to be willing to change. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. I want to look at when, when Israel and Joshua were coming into the new land and the changes that they had to make and the changes that they had to, to look at. So there's, there's five points that I want to share with you this morning in our time together in looking at the change. Uh, and I'm basing this all out of Joshua chapter three, verse one. So if you open your Bible there, That's our key text. You can make a note there. But I want to give you five principles that will help you and I to change in our life. If you're with me this morning, say amen. Amen. And if you're at home with us, type in amen. So number one, going from this day forward, number one is we have to seek God. It says early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out. And so early in the morning indicates that they've gave God that first part of their day. He was the priority. He was the importance. We read in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus, uh, this is Jesus er, 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 um, arising early, very early in the morning while it was still dark outside. Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he did what? He prayed. What did he do? Well, he gave his first fruit of the day to the Lord. And the reason that he got up early and the reason that he went to a solitary place is because you know that thousands of people were always following him. They're like, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, feed me. Jesus, I need this. Jesus, I want this. Jesus, do this for me. Everything was about him doing something for them. So he knew that in order to start his day, he needed to be able to separate himself to just have some downtime in the morning. Now, there are some folks that you guys are just early morning folks. You know, I think Nick and Tommy, you guys are those early morning folks. And, and Grace and Tony, God bless you. We miss you so much. The, you guys are early morning folks. There are some folks I talk to and they and and when I say, well, what time do you get? up? Oh, you know, usually I get up. If I get up late, I get up about five. But usually I'm up about four. I said late is 5 a.m. <laughs> I said, that's a miracle if I can get up. When I, when I, was, um, when I was exercising more, <laughs> exercising a lot more, I, I would have to, in order to be uh, on time, I would have to be up sometimes at a quarter to four to have enough time to work out and shower and pray and everything. And I can tell you, honestly, I say this from my heart, uh, Tracy at quarter to four, my gym, my gym is outside. I don't have it. It has a covering, but it's open and I could tell you, uh, at quarter to four in the morning, it is 38 degrees outside. And it was killing me. It was like, it's so painful, right? But I knew that I had to have that time, you know, certainly for exercise. But more importantly, I had to have time to be with the Lord. Now, I know that there are some people that, you know, they, they pray along the way. We have a 40-minute commute, so we certainly are praying along the way. But I like, I, 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 maybe I'm old-fashioned and traditional. I like to just have some time where I'm not doing something. I can just get away. I can, I can literally get on my knees. I can open my Bible. I can highlight things. Because I want that first part of the day 
to be able to hear from the Lord. And there are some mornings, certainly during our time of fasting, I can hear so much clearer from the Lord, right? But I don't propose to fast forever because that would be painful. And there are some mornings when I'm in prayer and I'm, and I'm pleading, God, I need to hear your voice today. But I, I need to, for me, I need to have that early morning time first to hear his voice to be able to worship him, to be able to say, Lord, if anything, all I can do is say, Lord, thank you this morning that you've given me this day. Jesus says in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given unto you as well. And, and it's in seeking him first. In other words, in every decision, The basis of why you and I make our decisions should always be based on the premise of God. What does this mean to you? If I take this job, what does that mean to you? Listen, there are some jobs as a Christian. I'm convinced you should not be in that occupation. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, if it involves taking off your clothes, you should not be in that occupation. If it involves suspicious activity, (laughs) right? Ill-gotten gains, you should not be involved with that. And so every decision that you make, where you live, God, is this the place where you want me to live? Is this the job that you want me to have? Is this the relationship that you have for me? Is this the school that you want me to go to? Is this the friendship that I should be nourishing and developing? Is this the community that I should be in? It should always be based on the premise of seeking God first. Some people would even say, well, you know, do you have to seek the Lord on everything? Like what color tie you should wear? If you should have a box of Cheerios in the morning or a box of Fruit Loops. And I would just answer it this way. I believe that every decision we make, whether we eat or drink, should all be done unto the glory of God. Every decision. It doesn't mean I'm praying and fasting. Lord, should I have Apple Jacks or Fruit Loops or Cheerios? No, no, no. But it means that every decision that I make, I want it to honor him and glorify him. Here's what Lamentation says in 322. It says, because of the Lord's great love, his great love, that we are not consumed for his compassions. They never fail. They are new every Morning, great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion and therefore I will wait for him. Every morning when I come, I'm receiving God's compassion in my life. When I bow my knee before him, I'm receiving God's forgiveness in my life. When I look to him, I'm receiving God's love in my life. When I bow before him, I'm receiving God's mercy in my life. Every morning when I come, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in my life. Amen. When I get down on my knees and I see my beautiful wife, 34 years she's put up with me, I'm grateful. When I see my children and my grandchildren, I'm grateful. When I see my health, I'm I'm reminded of his faithfulness, his grace, his love. When I see all of you, friendship, when I come to New Life Christian Church in the morning, Or during the week, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. When I see each of you, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. You know why? Because his mercies are new every morning. How many of you need his mercy every morning? Listen, every hand should be up because we need his mercy. Seeking God first, it gives us the mindset and the instruction for our life each day. And, and, And listen. If it's five minutes, you seek the Lord. If it's 50 minutes, you seek the Lord. I know that there are some prayer warriors every day. They seek him for two and a half hours. Praise God. My heart is that you would just seek the Lord every day to draw near to him. If you're with me this morning, say amen. Amen. If you're asleep, say amen. Ah, I heard some amens out there. Okay, I caught you. Number two. From going from this day forward, we need to obey and submit to leadership. Here's what uh, Joshua says. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So what he is saying is that the leaders that I have given you for your house of worship, I want you to follow 
and listen to them. Now, let me share this with you. We should never follow a leader that is in sin, period. We should never follow a leader that does not teach the scripture and its integrity. Because there are some people that teach the scripture, but it's not true. They teach it for their own gain. We should never follow a leader that takes advantage of us or abuses us. But we should recognize, Paul says in Timothy, recognize those leaders who do well. Here's what Hebrews 13, 7 says. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Man, that's strong. Let me ask you a question. This is personal, so I don't want you to raise your hand. If we had more individuals that followed the pattern of leadership with Pastor Stephen and Farias, do you think that would be a good thing? Do you think if, if we had more people that followed the pattern of leadership of Harry and Kathy, would that be a good thing? Would it be a good thing if we had people follow the pattern of leadership after Nick and Tommy Ortiz? And so the answer to that is, this is how we check ourselves. This is a personal check. This is how you can ask yourself if you know what you're doing is right or wrong. And that is to say this, to say, if my life were reflected openly on 24-7 real-life TV, you know, I think they call it what, reality, reality TV, Elsa, right? Is that they call it? If somebody were to put a camera on you 24-7, what would that life show like? Some of us would be like, ooh, wee, there's some things I want some people to know. There's some music I'm listening to that ain't all that and things I'm doing that ain't all that. Or would they say, you know what? Flaws and all, this is a man or a woman that loves Jesus. And I think that's the the test of our character to say, in my life, is it, if somebody were to imitate my faith as I'm following Christ, would it help them draw closer to the Lord or would it push them away from God? And our hope is that if people would imitate our faith as we follow the Lord, this is what Paul says in Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as, that's the caveat, as I follow the example of Christ. And this is where people get themselves in trouble because some people are willing to follow a leader to the edge of a cliff and, and that leader is not following Christ. See, the caveat here is that, is that you are to follow that leader as long as that leader exhibits the quality of Christ, as long as they are submitted. Listen, as a leader, I have to be submitted. I don't want anyone to think, well, the pastor just makes all the decisions and does what he wants. No, this, that's not how we function here. Right, Reggie? We don't function that way. We function under submission. We submit to the Lord. I, I hope that as a leader, we are servants to the Lord. That we are willing to pick up garbage, that we're willing to sweep, we're willing to clean out the toilets, we're willing to hang things up, we're willing to do things with our hands, that nothing is beneath us because we're servants. I, I love the story. I've shared this many times. We were KFAX radio broadcast every year. They haven't done it for the last couple, unfortunately, because of COVID. But they used to host an annual pastor's breakfast. And it was, oh man, I tell you, it was so encouraging. Pastor Stephen has been with me on a couple of those. And what they would do is they would gather all the pastors from the Bay Area. And uh, they, would, they would, on their dime, they would feed us at the Fremont Marriott. I think it was a Marriott Hotel. They would feed us breakfast, and then all of these different vendors would give all of us gifts. And we used to come back, oh my gosh, I still have books I haven't finished reading yet from years ago that they've given me. And, and, and I think at the peak of it, there were probably like 700 pastors that were there. And it was just enormous. And they would fly in, again, all their own expense, they would fly in a, a well-known pastor to come in and to speak to us as pastors. So we've had some, some wonderful pastors throughout the year. But one of them that really... Uh, stands out for me is the pastor in New York. And I, this is so terrible because I know his name. Stephen, you might have to help me. He has one of the, the biggest churches, um, A.R. Bernard. That's it, A.R. Bernard. So A.R. Bernard was a very well-known pastor. Some of you might know him, some of you might not, but I have a great respect for him. And his church is over 25,000 members. Big church. Didn't start that way, but it grew to that. 
And so uh, A.R. Bernard has a large staff. He has a large uh, church membership. And one day, there, I think it was a reporter that was going to do an interview with him. He was, he was looking for Pastor Bernard, and he went to the secretary, and he asked him, he said, uh, can, or asked her, can you tell me where Pastor A.R. Bernard is? I'm looking for him. And she said, yeah, he's, he's over there. Uh, he's helping with the chairs and tables uh, over there. And there was a group of volunteers, and A.R. Bernard was lifting tables and setting them up and putting away. And he was there for maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, and then he met with the reporter. And so the reporter starts interviewing him. He says, hey, by the way, can I ask you a question? And A.R. Bernard said, yeah, what, what is it? He goes, well, you know, I, I know your church is 25,000 members. And he goes, don't you have enough volunteers that you don't have to worry yourself with lifting tables and chairs and doing that yourself? He goes, I'm sure you could ask other people to do it for you. And A.R. Bernard answered him this way. He says, well, you know, that is true. We do have enough people. He goes, but if I'm the pastor, he goes, and I have a small congregation, maybe there's 15 or 20 and I'm, and I'm lifting tables and putting away chairs. People expect that. He goes, but if I have a congregation of 25,000, people don't. He goes, but I'm still a servant. I'm a servant first, and then I'm a pastor. And he goes, and, and if I can't serve my people, if I can't willingly serve, not to be recognized, not to be noticed, he goes, then what kind of servant am I really? And that always stuck in my mind, and I thought about it, and, and I thought about that. I said, Lord, I want us to be a church that no matter where God raises up, if God raises you up to be a pastor or a worship leader or a missionary or an evangelist or somewhere in that place, that you and I are never above doing the work that still needs to be done. If we need help in Sunday school, pastor, can you help in the nursery? Hey, if I'm available, man, I love little kids. Pastor, can, can you help us clean up? Man, I, I can still rub tables and carry chairs. I can still clean a little bit and vacuum. Not the greatest, but I can still do it. That nothing is beneath us. And so that we as servants, we set that example. Here's what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Because also as leaders, not are we to, only to serve, but we have to give an account. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Because Why? They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know that Pastor Stephen and Farius and Juvie and myself and Nick and Tommy, Harry, Kathy, Reggie, Amanda, Bob and Tina, all of us as an eldership. Do you know that we're accountable for you? Did you know that? When we share things with you, sometimes, sometimes those things are hard and you may not like them. Listen, I've been a pastor now for a few years and I've had my fair share of people tell me and openly spread gossip about my name and say, Pastor D is so unloving. He's unkind. He's not fair. Because I've had to make correction. And listen, I would hope that that when we do make correction, it's tempered with grace and mercy. But listen, when sin is sin, we can't just gloss it over and say, well, it's okay. You can go ahead and continue to do that. No. And so people don't like it when you call them out and say, but here's the thing. We're not just calling you out and saying there's no hope. We're saying, here's what God is telling you. Here's what God's word says. It's not just up us making it up. And it would be beneficial for us to hear. Yeah, I, I, my wife and I, we like to share. And, and um, one of the things that my wife likes to share with me is when I disagree with her. And so disagreeing with her, uh, it, it could be about anything. And then later on, down the road, a week later, I come back and I say, you know, honey, you were actually right about that. And she'll tell me, she goes, well, why couldn't you just agree with me then? And I tell her, I go, well, what fun is that? <laughs> you, you, don't you expect me to disagree with you? Isn't that more exciting? I just don't want to agree with you and say, okay, now let's, let's have some fun in this. But it makes it so much easier for her when we are working together, and can I tell you as a leadership, it makes it so much more enjoyable when we can work together. That doesn't mean that leadership is perfect, but it does mean that we have a liability and a responsibility to each other. And I want to tell you from our leadership, we take it very serious. We take it very serious because every soul is important to God. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, he says, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience because some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their 
faith. Listen, church, I want to be honest with you up here. I do not think myself so highly that I could never let my faith become shipwrecked. Now, I want to temper that with saying, because I know there's theology around, you know, some folks are once saved, excuse me, once saved, always saved, and some, some folks are different. Let, let me just temper it with this. Paul says that if you're not careful, your faith can be shipwrecked. Now, you can interpret that however you might. You lose your salvation, you backslide, whatever. I'm going to interpret it this way. It ain't good either way. <laughs> Period. However you want to theologically decipher that. It's just not good. I don't, want to, I don't want to be in that place where my faith is shipwrecked. Because Pastor Stephen says, you know, Pastor D, I think, you know, I'm seeing some things in you. And I think it's important for you to, to do this. And I, well, who does Stephen think he is? He can't tell. I'm the pastor. He can't tell me what to do. <laughs> he, said, yeah. he said, yes, I can. And I, and, and I refuse and I, and I resist and I don't listen. Listen, I've been around long enough to watch people resist the Lord and I've seen firsthand the outcome and I'm going to tell you their faith has been shipwrecked. Some folks that I've known many years ago that have been resistant to the Lord and, and they're nowhere to be found in Christendom, in the house of God, anywhere. Some folks that, that are certainly more educated than I ever was, much better pastors and preachers than I ever would be, and yet now they're shipwrecked in their faith. And this isn't casting judgment, Pastor Stephen. This isn't casting stones. This is to say, I don't want to be shipwrecked. I want to finish this race strong. By God's grace, however much breath that he gives me, however much strength that he gives me, I want to finish this race strong in him, obedient to his word. I don't want my faith to become, when people say, hey, whatever happened to Pastor D? Well, you know, I don't know. One day he was here. And the next day, we, don't, we never saw him again. He just disappeared. I want my faith to be made strong in him. Do you agree with me, church? Amen. amen. All right, you're still with me. If you're asleep, say amen. amen. Oh, I still got a couple of you. You, got, you better wake up, you two. All right, number three. Going from this day forward, we need to follow direction and instruction. He says in verse three, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, then you are to move out from your position and follow it. So there's there's a following and I (laughs) following instruction and obedience. I I love to. This is one of my favorite stories. I love to share about not following directions. So when I was a, a kid growing up in San Francisco, my cousin, his name was Walter and Walter had his birthday on the exact same day as mine, April 16th. And he was exactly one year older than me. And I think I was seven and he was eight. And he lived over on Scott and Fell. So Scott and Fell, there's a, a big hill up at the top where there's a park we used to play at. And we were instructed and told to only go to the park. Do not go anywhere else. You know, because you were seven and eight years old. And so we went to the park. Well, the park is on a hill peak. And from that vantage point, you can see a lot of San Francisco. It's beautiful up there. The park is still there. And uh, so we were playing up there and I, lo- and I was looking and I saw this golden dome. Now, I- I'm one of those kids that growing up, I had the vivid imagination. Now, when I say vivid, I don't mean just internally. Like I could visually see things as a kid. It's a crazy story, but I had this really big imagination. Anyway, when I saw the golden dome, I thought of it like a treasure chest. Because that's what it looked like. I, I, you know, I don't, I still this day, I still don't know what it was. It could be a mosque or it could be a church. I don't know. I just know it was a golden dome. And I told my cousin, I said, Walter, I go, let's go over to that golden dome and go see the treasures and what's over there. And my cousin, Walter, he's smart. He said, no, we were told to stay here. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm persuasive. And I said, well, it's okay. Come on. We'll be all right. And uh, he says, I don't think, oh, come on. So sure enough, here we are. Now, here's the thing. What you see on the top of one peak to another peak, you don't see all the underneath. You just see from point to point. So when we started walking, well, we start going down the hill, down the hill, down the hill. We're walking, 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 walking. And we finally get there. I don't know how much later. We get to the top of that dome. And then from there, we see another place. And we're like, oh, man, look at that. And it was another dome, but it was red. We didn't know what it was. And I said, Walter, let's go walk over there. He goes, I don't think so. I think we should go back. No, we're going to be okay. Come on. So sure enough, there we are. 
from one peak, we go down, we're walking, we're walking. And so we had actually walked, I, I actually Googled it on the map. We had actually walked almost two miles for the day. So we get there. And by the time we get there now, guess what? It's dark. And so we're looking around and we're like, uh-oh, we don't know how to get home. We, we, and so, you know, we do what seven and eight-year-olds do when you get lost. You cry. And so we're, we're crying. And we're like, ah. we, we finally find a, a police officer who takes us. Now, where we had ended up was we actually were at the Palace of Fine Arts. That's where we, by the marina in San Francisco. That's how far we had walked. And um, so we, he took us back and my cousin told him the address on Scott and Fell and, and um, got back. And as soon as we walked in there, there was my uncle, his dad. Oh, let me tell you. Now, this was, listen, I don't condone this, okay? But this was back in the day when you got whoopings, okay? Because <laughs> now, I don't know, they call it, was it CPS or something? Yeah, back then, there was no CPS. All right? It was just, you got the belt and that was it. My uncle was waiting for my cousin Walter, man. So it wasn't even one word like, it's like, pop, man. I was like, oh, man. I was terrified. And so I knew it was coming because there was my dad, too, waiting for me, right? He's next in line. I'm like, oh. And before he even got there, my mom was there. And I just burst out into tears. Ah! And I'm crying. Ah! I'm laying on the ground. Ah! My mom goes, oh, no. And my dad's getting ready to whop me. Right? My, my mom's, oh, no, no, no. Look what you did to him. He's traumatized. You can't beat him now. She grabs me and hugs me. Oh, it's going to be okay, mom, okay, okay. Okay, mom, okay. And I walk off with my mom. I say, mom, you saved my life. But that whole situation could have been avoided if I had just followed the directions and instructions. And this is what happens in our lives, that, that we don't always follow the directions and we don't follow the instructions. And, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, but I'll give you the reference in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 11. And this is the story of, of King Saul. And we all know that, that King Saul, unfortunately, he didn't obey the Lord and he didn't follow the instructions and he justified his actions. That was the critical thing of it, is he justified himself. Rather than confessing and say, you know what, I messed up. Stephen, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. He, he, he goes and, uh, and, he, and he just makes excuses for it. And so uh, Samuel rebukes him. And then from that point on, Saul of the first king of Israel is no longer going to be king. There's going to be a new king raised up, and his name was David. But you contrast that here, and here's what Samuel said to him in 1522, because Saul said, he goes, well, I, you know, I needed to do this sacrifice, and it was important, and I, and I saved, you know, I, I did what the Lord said, I obeyed him, and, Saul, and Samuel said, you didn't obey. You didn't obey. And this is the, the quote that Samuel says in 1522. But Samuel replied to, to King Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. In other words, God would rather have you obey us than sacrifice thousands of dollars. God would rather have you and I obey the obedience of his word of loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Obedience. There's a beautiful song, and many of you might not be familiar with the old singer called Keith Green, and he has a song called To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. You can look it up on YouTube, because YouTube has everything now where you can look up all the songs, and you can listen to it, but the words are very poignant, and they're very scriptural. Now contrast King Saul, who disobeys, with a beautiful queen named Esther, who does obey. And that's found in the book of Esther 2.20. And she says, but Esther had kept her secret family, uh, her family secret of background and nationally, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. And what's interesting about this is that, you know, the story of Esther, that she was of Jewish descent and uh, they were going to destroy the Jewish people. No one knew her nationality till at the very end she had already become queen. And then she confesses that she's uh, Jewish. And they, uh, I think it's Haman. Haman wanted to destroy the Jewish people. And then uh, King Xerxes saves her people, gives them permission, and they live. And she says these most famous words because Mordecai tells her, he, he says, look, you need to appeal to the king. You have to appeal for your people. And he and he tell and she tells him back, she says, well, if anyone goes before the king before their appointed time, they are subject to death. He could just, 
you know, put down the scepter and you're done, or uh, not put up the scepter and you're done. But if he lifts the scepter before you, you can come in. And then Mordecai gives her these words. He says, don't you for one minute think just because you're the queen that you will be exempt from being killed as well. And so she responds back. She says, then I will go before him. And if I perish, I perish. Man, what a powerful word. I mean, to me, that's like, that is so courageous. In other words, what she was saying, she goes, look, I am willing to give up my life to obey. I am willing to sacrifice everything to obey. And if it means that I lose my life, then let it be done. Paul says the same words. If I die, I die. Whether I live or die, it doesn't matter because I belong to him. That our lives in obedience means that we're already subject to death. This flesh is dead already because we're made alive unto him. Obedience. We heed God's instructions. Number four. Going from this day forward, we have to have faith and trust in God. He says, and then you will know which way to go because you've never been this way before. Have any of you ever traveled somewhere where you, have, you are not familiar with the surroundings? Like, you know, I grew up here in, in the Bay Area and there are some places like I still today, I know them like the back of my hand. Like there's some, there's some back roads that are still there. There's some alleyways that are still there that I'm super familiar with, Right. But since we've been in Tracy, we've been there. This is our fifth year there. Man, there are some places I drive in Tracy. I still don't know where I'm at. I'm like, I go, I have never seen this place before. What are these sheep doing here? Where are we? Where are we? I'm like so lost. Right. And not comfortable with it. But especially how about if you go, you know, we went to Mexico for vacation and and my wife and I, uh, we rented a scooter. I know it probably terrified her. Uh, being on the back with the pastor with a scooter, that's very dangerous. But we just got on the scooter and we went anywhere. We didn't even, we didn't even know where we were. We just drive and drive. And then we got into some little sketchy parts, you know. It was, it was a little like, oh, okay, I go, we're going to go a little faster through here. Oh, let's go, let's go. And, um, but we didn't know where we were. And uh, thank God for Google. You put your Google in, you put, your, put where you're staying at, and uh, Google, sometimes Google helps you and kind of directs you back. But we're not, when you're not familiar with a place, you're not comfortable with it. And so uh, you and I, that we're in this place of life, and there's not every place that we always know how to handle. Let me, let me phrase it this way. The last two years, nobody, I don't care who you were, nobody could have prepared or known, or I should say it this way, nobody was totally prepared for what happened 2020. I love, I love our sister Amanda. She shared uh, some, that she had read that one of the, most stupidest investments someone made was to buy a 2020 calendar, right? Planner. That's what it was, a 2020 planner, because nobody could plan. Nobody could exactly. And there are things in our life, listen now, there are things in our lives that we totally have never experienced, that we don't always know how to handle. Now, there are some things that we're familiar with, but there's a lot of things that we're not. And so what we have to look at is, God, that because we haven't been this way before, we have to put our, trace, our trust and our faith in God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith, what is faith? Being sure of what we what? Hope for and certain of what we do not, do not see. And then he goes on to say, For this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This walk that we're talking about, and you've heard me say it many times, is a walk of faith. The life that we live is a walk of faith in him. When you have difficulties on your job, it's a walk of faith to trust him. 
When you have difficulties in your marriage, it's a walk of faith to trust him. When you have difficulties in your life, in your health, in your well-being, it's your trust and faith in him that sees us through. Because Corinthians 5, 7, 2 Corinthians says we live by what? We live by faith. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ, Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This whole walk is a walk of faith that we trust him. Let me share this last thought with you. Number five. Now, from going this day forward, February 20th, 2022, that we have to prepare ourselves for God to do some amazing ministry. And church, I believe that. I believe that God is, is going to do some amazing Amazing ministry. He's, Joshua told the people, he says to consecrate yourself. That means to prepare yourself because tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing, amazing things. Worship hallelujah. team. Amen. Amen. Got a hallelujah. Worship team, come on up. God is going to do some amazing things. You say, Pastor, well, well how do you know that? Because his word says so. Here, here's what he says in Ephesians. I believe it's Ephesians chapter Uh, or chapter three, verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within, that is at work within, that is at work within, to him be glory in in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That is God's amazing work. I believe that God wants to do, listen, church, I believe God wants to do amazing, amazing things. And I believe that God wants to do amazing things individually with us. And I believe that God wants to do amazing things collectively with us as a church. And so we want to prepare ourselves. That's what, Joshua was telling the people, he says, before God does these amazing works, there's some preparation. Listen, church, I'll be very specific. God is preparing us. Right, Reggie? God is preparing. There he is. He (laughs) snuck up behind me. God is preparing us as a leadership. Now, listen, church, I want to challenge you. I probably don't challenge you enough, but I want to challenge you. Number one, if you're a leader in New Life Christian Church, we want you to be prepared this year for God to do some amazing things. And there are some of you, God has called to leadership, but you've been resisting. I'm not naming any names because I won't do that, but I'll say you've been resisting. Well, this year you can't resist anymore. We need to prepare ourselves. As a church, God wants us to prepare ourselves for the harvest that he wants to bring in. I believe that 2020 through 2022 I believe personally that it was a regrouping for churches, including us, a regrouping to really reevaluate. Okay, Lord, where where are we really at in this? And in that time, we we saw people that um, he said, you know what? I'm out of here. No more. And then we saw other people rise to the occasion. I believe that God utilized that for us to be able to to rebuild. And that's what we're doing. And we believe that as we consecrate ourselves and we prepare ourselves, God is going to do amazing, amazing Amen. things. Amen. Amen. I agree with that. Pastor Dubayon Shortridge, Senior Pastor at New Life Christian Church of Hayward. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. 
While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.